Section 24 of God and My Neighbour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Algie Pug. God and My Neighbour by Robert Blatchford. Section 24 Christian Apologies, Christianity and Ethics. Christianity, we are told, inaugurated the religion of humanity and human brotherhood. But the Buddhists taught a religion of humanity and universal brotherhood before the Christian era, and not only taught the religion, but put it into practice, which the Christians never succeeded in doing, and cannot do today. And, moreover, the Buddhists did not spread their religion of humanity and brotherhood by means of the sword and the rack, and the thumbscrew and the faggot, and the Buddhists liberated the slave, and extended their loving-kindness to the brute creation. The Buddhists do not depend for the records of their morality on books. Their testimony is written upon the rocks. No argument can explain away the rock edicts of King Asoka. King Asoka was one of the greatest Oriental kings. He ruled over a vast and wealthy nation. He was converted to Buddhism and made it the state religion, as Constantine made Christianity the state religion of Rome. In the year 251 BC, King Asoka inscribed his earliest rock edict. The other edicts, from which I shall quote, were all cut more than two centuries before our era. The inscription of the Rupuath rock has the words, 250 years have elapsed since the departure of the teacher. Now, Buddha died in the 5th century before Christ. The Dauli Edict of King Asoka contains the following, quote, Much longing after the things of this life is a disobedience, I again declare. Not less so is the laborious ambition of dominion by a prince who would be a propitiator of heaven. Confess and believe in God, who is the worthy object of obedience. End quote. From the tenth rock edict. Quote, Earthly glory brings little profit, but, on the contrary, produces a loss of virtue. To toil for heaven is difficult, to peasant and to prince, unless, by supreme effort, he gives up all. End quote. This is from the fourteenth edict. Quote, Piedasi, the friend of the Devas, values alone the harvest of the next world. For this alone has this inscription been chiselled, that our sons and our grandsons should make no new conquests. Let them not think that conquests by the sword merit the name of conquests. Let them see their ruin, confusion and violence. True conquests alone are the conquests of Dharma. End quote. Rock Edict number 1 has, quote, Formerly, in the great refectory and temple of King Piedasi, the friend of the Devas, many hundred thousand animals were daily sacrificed for the sake of food meat. But now the joyful chorus resounds again, and again that henceforward not a single animal shall be put to death. End quote. The second edict has, quote, In committing the least possible harm, in doing abundance of good, in the practice of pity, love, truth, and likewise purity of life, religion consists. End quote. The ninth edict has, quote, Not superstitious rites, 
but kindness to slaves and servants, reverence towards venerable persons, self-control with respect to living creatures. These, and similar virtuous actions, are the rites which ought indeed to be performed. End quote. The Eighth Edict has quote, The acts and the practice of religion, to wit, sympathy, charity, truthfulness, purity, gentleness, kindness. End quote. The Sixth Edict has quote, I consider the welfare of all people as something for which I must work. End quote. The Dowley Edict has quote, if a man is subject to slavery and ill-treatment, from this moment he shall be delivered by the king from this and other captivity. Many men in this country suffer in captivity. Therefore, the stupor containing the commands of the king has been a great want. End quote. Is it reasonable to suppose that a people possessing so much wisdom, mercy and purity two centuries before Christ was born could need to borrow from the Christian ethics? Mr. Lilly says of King Ahsoka, quote, He antedates Wilberforce in the matter of slavery. He antedates Howard in his humanity towards prisoners. He antedates Tolstoy in his desire to turn the sword into a pruning hook. He antedates Rousseau, St. Martin, Fichte in their wish to make interior religion the all in all. End quote. King Ahsoka abolished slavery, denounced war, taught spiritual religion and purity of life, founded hospitals, forbade blood sacrifices, and inculcated religious toleration two centuries before the birth of Christ. Centuries before King Ahsoka, the Buddhists sent out missionaries all over the world. Which religion was the borrower from the other, Buddhism or Christianity? Two centuries before Christ, King Ahsoka had cut upon the rocks these words, quote, I pray with every variety of prayer for those who differ with me in creed that they, following after my example, may with me attain unto eternal salvation, and whoso doeth this is blessed of the inhabitants of this world, and in the next world endless moral merit resulteth from such religious charity. Edict 11. End quote. How many centuries did it take the Christians to rise to that level of wisdom and charity? How many Christians have reached it yet? But the altruistic idea is very much older than Buddha, for it existed among forms of life very much earlier and lower than the human, and has indeed been a powerful factor in evolution. Speaking of the Golden Rule, in his Confessions of Faith of a Man of Science, Heckel says, quote, in the human family, this maxim has always been accepted as self-evident. As ethical instinct, it was an inheritance derived from our animal ancestors. It had already found a place among the herds of apes and other social mammals. In a similar manner, but with wider scope, it was already present in the most primitive communities and among the hordes of the least advanced savages. Brotherly love, mutual support, succour, protection, and the like, had already made its appearance among gregarious animals as a social duty, for without it, the continued existence of such societies is impossible. Although, at a later period, in the case of man, these moral foundations of society 
came to be much more highly developed, their oldest prehistoric source, as Darwin has shown, is to be sought in the social instincts of animals. Among the higher vertebrates, dogs, horses, elephants, etc., as among the higher articulates, ants, bees, termites, etc. Also, the development of social relations and duties is the indispensable condition of their living together in orderly societies. Such societies have, for man also, been the most important instrument of intellectual and moral progress. End quote. It is not to revelation that we owe the ideal of human brotherhood, but to evolution. It is because altruism is better than selfishness that it has survived. It is because love is stronger and sweeter than greed that its influence has deepened and spread. From the love of the animal for its mate, from the love of parents for their young, sprang the ties of kindred and the loyalty of friendship. And these, in time, developed into tribal and thence into national patriotism. And these stages of altruistic evolution may be seen among the brutes. It remained for man to take the grand step of embracing all humanity as one brotherhood and one nation. But the root idea of fraternity and mutual loyalty was not planted by any priest or prophet. For countless ages universal brotherhood has existed among the bison, the swallow and the deer, in a perfection to which humanity has not yet attained. For a fuller account of this animal origin of fraternity, I recommend to the reader two excellent books, The Martyrdom of Man, by Winwood Reed, Keegan Paul, and Mutual Aid, by Prince Kropotkin, Heinemann. But the Christians claim that Christ taught a new gospel of love and mercy and goodwill to men. That is a great mistake. Christ did not originate one single new ethic. The Golden Rule was old. The Lord's Prayer was old. The Sermon on the Mount was old. With the latter, I will deal briefly. For a fuller statement, please see the RPA Sixpenny edition of Huxley's Lectures and Essays and Christianity and Mythology by J. M. Robertson. Shortly stated, Huxley's argument was to the following effect. That Mark's Gospel is the oldest of the Synoptic Gospels, and that Mark's Gospel does not contain, or even mention, the Sermon on the Mount that Luke gives no Sermon on the Mount, but gives what may be called a Sermon on the Plain, that Luke's Sermon differs materially from the Sermon given by Matthew, that the Matthew version contains 107 verses, and the Luke version 29 verses. Huxley's conclusion is as follows, quote, Matthew, having a center of sayings attributed, rightly or wrongly, it is impossible to say, to Jesus among his materials, thought they were, or might be, records of a continuous discourse, and put them in a place he thought likeliest. Ancient historians of the highest character saw no harm in composing long speeches which never were spoken, and putting them into the mouths of statesmen and warriors, and I presume that whoever is represented by Matthew would have been grievously astonished to find that anyone objected to his following the example of the best models accessible to him. End quote. But since Huxley wrote those words, more evidence has been produced, from the Old Testament, from the Talmud, and from the recently discovered Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, a pre-Christian work, 
the origins of the Sermon on the Mount have been fully traced. Quote, Agnostic criticism now takes an attitude towards this sermon which may thus be expressed. 1. The sermon never was preached at all. It is a written compilation. 2. The story of the Mount is a myth. The name of the Mount is not given. It is not reasonable to suppose that Jesus would lead a multitude up a mountain to speak to them for a few minutes. The mountain is an old sun myth of the sun god on his hill, and the twelve apostles are another sun myth and represent the signs of the zodiac. 3. There is nothing in the alleged sermon that was new at the time of its alleged utterance. End quote. Of course, it may be claimed that the arrangement of old texts in a new form constitutes a kind of originality, as one might say that he who took flowers from a score of gardens and arranged them into one bouquet produced a new effect of harmony and beauty. But this credit must be given to the compilers of the Gospel's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Let us take a few pre-Christian morals. Sextus said, quote, What you wish your neighbours to be to you, such be also to them. End quote. Isocrates said, quote, Act towards others as you would desire others to act towards you. End quote. Lao Tzu said, quote, The good I would meet with goodness, the not good I would also meet with goodness. End quote. Buddha said, quote, Hatred does not cease by hatred at any time. Hatred ceases by love. End quote. And again, quote, Let us live happily, not hating those who hate us. End quote. In the Talmud occur the following Jewish anticipations of Christian morals. Quote, love peace and seek it at any price. Remember that it is better to be persecuted than persecutor. To whom does God pardon sins? To he who himself forgives injuries. Those who undergo injuries without returning it, those who hear themselves vilified and do not reply, who have no motive but love, who accept evils with joy. It is of them that the prophet speaks when he says, The friends of God shall shine one day as the sun in all his splendour. It is not the wicked we should hate, but wickedness. Be like God, compassionate, merciful. Judge not your neighbour when you have not been in his place. He who charitably judges his neighbour shall be charitably judged by God. Do not do unto others that which would be disagreeable to you to suffer yourself. That is the main part of the law. All the rest is only commentary. End quote. From the Old Testament come such morals as Quote, Let him give his cheek to him that smiteth him. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 30. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. He that is of a lowly spirit shall obtain honour. Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 23. The meek shall inherit the land. Psalm 37, verse 11. End quote. History and ancient literature prove that Christianity did not bring a new moral code, did not inaugurate peace, nor purity, nor universal brotherhood, did not originate the ideal human character, but checked civilization, resisted all enlightenment, and deluged the earth with innocent blood 
in the endeavour to compel mankind to, to drink old moral wine out of new theological bottles. Three of the greatest blessings men can have are freedom, liberty of conscience, and knowledge. These blessings Christianity has not given, but has opposed. It is largely to the ancient Greeks and Romans, to the Arabs and the Indians, to patriots, heroes, statesmen, scholars, scientists, travellers, inventors, discoverers, authors, poets, philanthropists, rebels, sceptics, and reformers, that the world owes such advance as it is made towards liberty and happiness and universal loving-kindness. This advance has been made in defiance of Christian envy, hatred, and malice, and in defiance of Christian tyranny and persecution. After fighting fiercely to defeat the advance of humanity, after slaying and cursing the noblest sons and daughters of the ages, the defeated Christians now claim to have conquered the fields they have lost, to have bestowed the benefits they have denied, to have evolved the civilization they have maimed and damned. As a democrat, a humanist, and a socialist, I join my voice to the indignant chorus which denies those claims. End of section 24